This morning, we'll, we will be talking from Luke chapter 18, from verse uh, 1 to 8, uh, the parable of the persistent widow. Uh, some uh, other uh, interpretations have it as the parable of the uh, importunate widow. But you could also call it the parable of the stubborn widow. So I will read from the Bible from verse 1 to 8 of uh, Luke chapter 18. Verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be along with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? Um, this morning, um, as part of my approach to delivering this message, permit me to uh, talk a bit uh, about my own life. And I'll call it the parable of the persistent Roland. <laughs> so in Nigeria, we have what we call IT. So when you round up your national diploma, you go for IT for one year. Here you call it co-op and I'll call it the co-op, yeah. Um, usually it's for you to gain work experience, and uh, learn from it, uh, but for me, it was not that at all. For me, it was to make money, because uh, due to my situation, I knew that if I couldn't make money during my co-op, then I might not be able to continue my education. Uh, you, you don't have the student loan there in Nigeria, yeah. So. I was able to get a placement with um, uh, a travel agency, and it paid peanuts. It could barely cover my monthly expenses. Uh, there is this oil company, petroleum industry in Nigeria. The, one of the biggest is Shell. And um, I got to know that they pay their co-ops. I will continue to use co-op because that's what we use in Canada. So I got to know that they pay their co-ops very well. Uh, so I made up my mind that I was going to get a placement in Shell. Uh, but it was easier said than done. Uh, if you get to their gates, you have these big high gates, barriers, and with armed policemen actually guarding the gate. Um, each time I tried to get in, it was impossible. I was told or I knew that um, there was a distant relative there who could help me, but the problem was how to get in. Uh, sometimes they would open the gate to let in a legitimate visitor and I will try to sleep in and they will grab hold of me. But this went on and on. I persisted. I was stubborn. And um, at some point, just like this unjust judge, they gave up and allowed me in. Uh, to cut a long story short, I got the placement. Uh, but um, as usual, we children of God, we always ask for more. So then while there, I got to hear that um, I got to know that they have these 10 positions, contract jobs, they call them, and these people earn quite well. 
So I made up my mind, okay, that's what I'm going to go for. So I'm not actually going to go back to school, but I'll get that contract job and be there. But in the finance department, to get that, you need to uh, connect with the finance manager. And this was no small person. It was actually the finance manager for Shell in the whole of Africa then. And uh, he was treated almost like a small god. Uh, to get by his secretary was a problem, but I persisted. I troubled her. I was stubbornly impertinent and impertinently stubborn. And eventually she allowed me to get to see the man. So I got in and um, I told him why I came to him. And he told me, no, he was not going to give it to me. He actually told me that he had the power. He could do that and I have the placement, I have the job. But that he was not going to give to me. And his advice was, look, it might look like a good job to you today, but you don't go back to school, you, you, you are capped there, and after some years you're going to regret this decision. So I will feel bad if I give this to you, because it will satisfy you today, but not for the future. Now, why did I bring in this story? Um, in... The situations I mentioned, I was persistent. I was stubborn. I knew what I wanted, and I went for it, and I refused to back down. I got one, and I was very happy. I did not get the other one, and I was very sad. In fact, I wept bitterly in his office. But years later, I realized the wisdom of his advice. Uh, that's a story for another day. But one thing is, Throughout this period, I was just a nominal Christian, Christian by name or title alone. But at that point, I wanted those things so much. I believed they were my adversaries, and I wanted vengeance and justice against them. I persisted. I never fainted. I was not weary in pursuing those objectives. And we do so, all of us. When we are faced with the problems of this world, they become the fo our focus. They become our adversaries. Now, the question is, or how does uh, Pastor James say, say it? He says, here's the question, right? Yeah. So here's the question. Were those challenges my greatest adversaries? When I got positive results, was it because of my persistence, my stubbornness? Was it because of my cry out to God? Was it because of my un unwillingness to faint or give up? Were the results really, truly, vengeance and justice against my true adversaries. Um, Jesus used parables as a teaching method, both for his followers and for other listeners. He also used them to confound his enemies or detractors because they continually had, you know, hounded him and their hearts were hardened and they would neither understand nor perceive. The parables of Jesus were based on everyday happenings, everyday situations, just like this one. But he used them for those who would have an open heart and receive the message. He used them to lead to their repentance and salvation. And that is why uh, Romans 15, 4 says that whatsoever things we are written aforetime, we are written for our learning. They were written that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. And that is my prayer this morning, that this parable of the persistent widow, that the message it has for myself and you 
that the Lord will grant it to us. That the Lord will grant to everyone sitting here this morning, watching this online, their own learning, their own patience, their own comfort, and their hope in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we will talk about the widow and her adversary. I will read again from Luke chapter 18, verse 3 this time. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. The concept of widowhood, as we see it in this context, in biblical days, um, I think will be something that many in Canada would not be able to relate to. I agree that uh, the loneliness that a widow feels after lo on losing the husband, I, I think will be the same for e everywhere. But um, there is a certain level of social support that is available for people of low income here and widows also that is not available in the uh, developing world. Uh, in the developing world, which we also call the third world, um, Widows there, losing their husband, usually, who is the breadwinner, uh, renders the widow helpless, completely helpless, and uh, usually doomed to a life of suffering. Uh, in such cases, uh, being able to afford even a meal becomes a luxury. Children become malnourished, and they drop out of school. In many cases, whatever property or assets were left by the husband, by the late husband, is forcefully taken away by the late husband's family. Everyone is out to take advantage of the widow. So it's not surprising that God made specific provisions for the support of widows and orphans in the Bible and repeatedly called on the people to care for them. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Now, the Bible is not specific about this adversary of this widow, but we see that she needed help from a superior authority, from a higher power. And that tells me that that adversary was beyond her own power to fight. Perhaps it was a rich man who wanted to force her to sell her property, which her husband left her, who wanted her to sell it for peanuts. Um, it could be her brother-in-law who wanted to appropriate uh, an olive grove left her by her late husband. It could even be her late husband's shepherd who is refusing to uh, release to her the flock of sheep that um, was kept in his custody. Uh, I have spent a while uh, trying to imagine this widow's situation because I am a child uh, of a widow too. I lost my father when I was 10, so I can relate uh, by my mother's experience to uh, this widow. In any case, she felt so wronged, she felt so wounded that she desired vengeance. She was very sure that she was innocent or justified in her quest for vengeance or justice. So she went to seek an audience of the judge. Of course, the judge, according to the law, was, you know, had the authority, was in a position uh, to hear her case, to avenge her, and to uh, serve her justice against her adversary. She persisted in requesting the judge to play his role. She was stubborn. She was importunate. Justice will be hers or else there will be something to pay. Amen. Now we'll talk about the unjust judge. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18, verse 2, 
there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. He was called the unjust judge. But when we hear the word judge and look at the definition, it is associated with justice. It is defined as just behavior or treatment. It is also defined as a concern for justice, for peace, and genuine respect for people. So when you hear the two words combined, unjust and judge, it's like hearing the two words lobster and spectacles. I mean, what is the connection? Normally, there should not be a word or a phrase like unjust judge because a judge, by nature of that profession, should be just. But that is exactly what this judge was. He was an unjust judge. He was a judge without uh, just behavior or treatment. He was a judge without concern for justice and peace. He was a judge without respect for people, even a widow. He was a judge without regard, respect, or fear of God. Now, it takes quite some years to become a judge. You go through school, you go through internship, you go through mentoring, you go through a lot of uh, work experience before uh, you become a judge. So this judge could not have uh, feigned ignorance of what was expected of him in his role as a judge. So how then could this judge not uphold the law, even if he did not need to be kind or pleasant about it? But that is what the Bible said, that he had no fear of God. This judge could not have or cannot claim that he was unaware of God's threat of punishment for those that afflicted widows. Uh, this is found in Exodus chapter 22 from verse 22 to 24. And it says, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Despite this threat from God, which this judge knew, he still for some time refused to grant the widow justice. He had no fear of God. Now, the Bible did not say for how long he refused to grant this widow justice. But uh, when we read from between the lines, her persistence, her, you know, that the judge now became weary, it shows that it must have been some time indeed. It was indeed justice delayed. He deliberately decided and persisted in not doing his duty and giving to her what was hers by right. He boastfully declared that he did not fear God. Luke 18.4 says, And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. What a boast from a mere mortal to make, you know, to declare that he did not fear God. But it is not surprising if you ask me. Even today, there are people who declare that um, they don't fear God. Some even declare that there is no God. But even some that do agree that there is God declare that he means nothing to them. People choose to do whatever is planted in their hearts by the deceiver, and they fight against the truth. Uh, back to the widow. Eventually, the widow's persistence got the better of the judge's persistence. So it was... Um, a battle between two stubborn people, the stubborn judge and the stubborn widow. So it was all about who was stubborner, and the widow was stubborner. And um, uh, we see it in Luke chapter 18, 5. The judge then said, Yet because this widow troubled me, 
I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary him, she weary me. But we need to note that he gave in not because he became convinced to do his duty. It was not because he repented and decided to fear and obey God. He only gave in because of the widow's persistence. Uh, we will now talk about the just and avenging God. Luke chapter 18 verse 7 says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be long with them? The word avenge or vengeance, when you look at it literally, it may seem extreme. However, when vengeance is aimed at correcting a wrong and it is done according to the law, it becomes justice. The people of the world, they go to the law courts for justice. We, the children of God, we go to our God. We cry out to God for justice. We do not take the law into our hands. We do not avenge ourselves. Romans 12:19 says it clearly. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But don't we all just love vengeance? Let's say the truth. Especially when we believe that we are in the right and have been unjustly treated. We pray for justice and vengeance on our adversaries. Then we set a timer, you know, waiting for the fire and thunder of God to descend on that adversary. And we go like, you know, when we pray or when we talk to God, we go like, hello God, I'm still waiting on that thunder and fire to fall on so and so. No rush God, yesterday will be fine. And just like Jonah, we fail, when we fail to see the vengeance met out on that adversary, we get frustrated. We come to believe that God has not fulfilled his promise. But again, here's the question. <laughs> Against what adversary do we persistently demand vengeance from God? Is it from hunger? Is it from joblessness? Is it from delayed promotion, for example? Is it from homelessness? Is it from sickness? Is it from physical death? You will agree with me that at one time or the other in our lives, before or after we became Christians, we must have prayed for vengeance and justice against any one of these physical adversaries and many more that I did not list here. Sometimes we may not consider them prayers, but at least we yearn for them to the point of desperation. Many people today still hold on to their godlessness or other religion or belief in themselves, their own power and might because after persistently crying out for vengeance, for justice, they do get results. These results make them happy. Um, and this result is because God does avenge all. It is no wonder to me that the richest man in my continent of Africa is not a Christian, he is a Muslim. Neither is it a wonder to me that most, if not all, of the richest people on earth are not Christians or are nominal Christians. Matthew 5:45 says, He maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth his reign on the just and on the unjust. He is a just God. God and justice go together. He loves and he provides for all of his creations. He avenges them all. The question is, or rather, here's the question. 
Are those worldly problems our true adversaries? And is the resolution of those worldly problems our true vengeance and justice? Should they be the focus of our persistence? And so we go to the persistent Christian, the true adversary, true vengeance, true justice. And I read from Luke chapter 18, verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, when you read this passage, there is a promise here, right? Basically, it says, be persistent in your prayers and cries to God for what you feel you are entitled to. What you feel is yours by right. For vengeance to be visited on your adversaries because you are in the right. And it will be done. Right? That is the promise from this passage. But I often say it. That except for the miracle of my salvation, the times I received the greatest miracles, I was not a practicing Christian. I was basically what you call a nominal Christian. Christian by name. Uh, You check my passport or my ID card. Where it says religion, you see Christian there. But I was a Christian in all but, you know, being a true Christian. But um, throughout this period, where any time I had adversaries, you know, problems of this world, I still cried unto God. I persisted in my supplications. I persisted in my prayers. And wonderful breakthroughs came in my life. I got vengeance. I got justice. I was happy. And I foolishly carried on with my nominal Christian life. But I thank God today for his grace and mercies that I eventually found my way back. Now, when it comes to prayers or persistent prayers, cries for justice, the Christians and non-Christians alike do it. Muslims do it. Buddhists do it. Animalists do it. And so on. And some do it actually more persistently than Christians. Um, I've watched documentaries where I saw Buddhists going to the temple to pray from their village tens of kilometers away and they crawled all the way on their stomachs. That is persistence. So even the atheist who denies God and believes in his own or her own might, they spend days and nights persistently working at ideas and giving it all they have. This is persistence. And I ask, do they get vengeance? Do they get justice? Do they get results? Surprisingly, just as we do, they do also. Food, shelter, job, promotion, wife, husband, children, certificates, and so on, are all troubles that beset us Christians in the world, same as everyone. But are these the adversaries that merit our persistent cries and prayers? Of course, we are free to ask God for these things. And he does provide these things for us. But the Gentiles also ask for these things. And the Lord also provides these things for them. And Matthew 6, 31 to 32 says it clearly. It says, therefore take no thought for saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. So, my conclusion is that vengeance and justice, as used in this parable, presents a deeper meaning than the literal meaning. As Christians, it is important for us to correctly identify our adversaries. 
Who today is our adversary? Who is our enemy? Who has offended us? Against whom should we be seeking justice and vengeance? Against whom should our persistent prayers and cries be directed? So the key message of this parable is not about our wants. It is about our true adversary, and it is about, it, about true vengeance and justice. We may not really dwell on it, but each time we are seated here like this morning, and it's time to share the message, even for those who are watching online. Each time we want to study the Bible, when we want to pray, when we are in a position to share the gospel, that adversary rears his head, and he hinders us. He distracts us with the numerous problems of living in this world. I listed them before. Food, shelter, job, promotion, and, also, and so on. That is our real adversary, Satan the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The widow's adversary is not your adversary. We need to recognize that. Our adversary is Satan, the devil. There is a very real battle going on for souls in this world today. The deceiver himself is not fainting. He is not weary. The church is under attack. Truth is being turned on its head. Adults are being brainwashed. Children are being indoctrinated. Brethren are being led astray. We need true vengeance and justice. And true vengeance and justice is what happens every time a soul is snatched from the clutches of the devil. I will repeat that. True vengeance or justice is what happens every time a soul is snatched from the clutches of the devil. Through the salvation that was provided on the cross. True vengeance and justice is the love of God and the sacrifice by God of his one and only begotten son to thwart our true adversary, the devil. Any wonder then that for every soul that is saved, the angels in heaven rejoice? The Bible says it clearly in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. It says, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, just one sinner that repented. They rejoice for the true justice that has been served. They rejoice that true vengeance has been delivered for a wrong that was committed since the beginning of the world. They rejoice that the adversary, the true adversary, has been denied one more soul. Now, when we have come to know Jesus and received salvation, the vengeance is still not complete. The job is not completed. We still don't have complete justice. As long as there are souls yet to know him, yet to be saved, as long as there are souls saved that require mentoring to become true disciples and disciples, we should not relent in our cries for vengeance and justice. We should continue being persistent. Now, when we pray against this very true adversary, for the greatest of vengeance and justice, we must not give up. And that is the New International Version uh, translation of that passage. Uh, the New Living Translation says, we must never give up. Uh, the King James Version says, we must not faint. New King James Version says, we must not lose heart. And the American uh, Standard Version says, we must not become discouraged. And that is why Christ said it at the beginning of that uh, 
parable in Luke 18, uh, 1b. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So I tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, we must be persistently persistent. And we must be stubbornly importunate so that when the Son of Man cometh, he must find faith on the earth.